right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to, I guess, the inaugural kind of switchover episode of Barstool Backstage with Fox trying to get down White Sox Dave, Kenny Carkeet, and Dante along with Johnny Congos. I don't know where Dave is. He'll be here eventually. Johnny, just hit me a Dave note real quick. You got any Dave notes okay. for me? Yeah. I've got some here. What do you got? I just have every fucking Friday in college football. Every fucking Friday in college. I, right. I believe in aliens 100%. <laughs> All right, there we go. It's basically like he's fucking here. Well, uh, I guess I don't know what you're keeping from the show we just did before the show, but I have to <laughs> apologize now to anybody who's still listening because apparently Rob Thomas is the greatest interview of all time. And then uh, it's like, oh, and here's Barstool Nate. So yeah. fuck me, I guess. Uh, uh, Nate, how are you, buddy? Welcome to the show. I was doing a lot better five minutes ago, but thank you. <laughs> that being said, we do have motherfucking Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20 on the show today. We literally just wrapped the interview. He might be the coolest person of all time. Dante's mom got a goddamn shot, uh, shout out. Dante, how are you feeling right now, buddy? I mean, honestly, I can do no wrong. I wish I had that shout out 20 years ago when I was a fucking punk ass <laughs> kid who's putting my mom through hell because I would. that's the biggest get out of jail free card of all time. But nonetheless, she's going to She's probably going to cry. She's going to be so happy hearing that. She's the biggest Matchbox 20 fan on the planet. Dude, I think we're going to have a lot of people coming out of the woodwork just to say like, oh, wait, Matchbox. This is like the Nickelback thing. We had Nickelback on and then everybody was like, oh, I fucking love He Nickelback. was so fucking cool, though, man. Dude. He like, it, he, it was electric. Unbelievable interview. Just yeah. great fucking great human. Absolutely. And uh, we got cut off by Australia, apparently. That's the reason we lost him. But it was only supposed to be half an hour. When an hour. Yeah. He's the fucking man. Now and now we're joined by another great human. Another great human. Our Nate in the building. Nate, Nate how yeah. are you? No, I'm good. Uh, I, I, again, I, so I, I come onto the, to the Zoom and everybody's wiling out. Like there's like five faces. Everybody's going crazy. I was like, my, my heart was like melting. I was like, this is so nice, guys. Like, wow, what an intro. And then it's Rob Thomas is the man. What an interview. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, nice to see you guys too. Uh, don't be uh, so, don't be so self-deprecating. We, it was we all love to you, have you here. No, you wrote a, you, the reason you're on, you wrote a great blog today. You did. Um, I'll let you plug it, but read it. And I was like, this would be a great topic on our show. And we just so happened to be recording. Um, you were able to come on. Um, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you kind of, regurgitate it for our listeners yeah it's actually like perfect that you have rob thomas from xbox 20 also because Great. the title of the blog is what's better than seeing your favorite bands while growing up seeing all your favorite bands now yeah. and the reason i wrote this blog is i was on twitter and i saw that all american rejects newfound glory motion city soundtrack starting line and get up kids were all touring together and i was like holy shit what a tour and then i was thinking wait all my favorite like emo punk bands from my teenage angsty years are all touring this summer you have blink who's back together follow yep. follow boy some 41 simple plan offspring touring together yellow card touring taking back sunday touring with the main dashboard and counting crows all time low and jimmy world and paramore and our friends oar and goo, goo dolls little different uh type of bands but still like every band that i liked as a child is now touring this summer and it's like wait i'm almost like glad my parents didn't let me see them as kids because i can see them now i mean just the fact of being able to go and drink with no fucking holds bar but there is a part of me though that like the uh, like my first concert ever was taking back sunday oh, like sneaking booze 
into a fucking show and going when you weren't supposed to be there. There is something magical about that. But the other side of it is having disposable income to get good seats is a different fucking horse of a different color. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it made me think like, like I always say, you know, I'm 34 about to turn 35. I'm old. I'm old. I'm old. It finally felt good to say that. Like (laughs) I I'm of the age where the old songs are being played at, every sporting event, every stadium, and everybody in the crowd is singing along. We're phasing out like goddamn living on a prayer. Like that's <laughs> done. Journey is done. We're not doing these <laughs> dumb sing-alongs anymore. Like our music is back. And it, it's, just, I could, I could shed a tear. I'm so happy about it. It'd almost be nice if you took that a step further and you just had selective amnesia about like your bands that you love there. Like you imagine getting to rediscover some of those bands for the oh, first time. Man. That'd be fucking sick. Or like movies even. Imagine I, if you could watch like True Lies for the first time. I wow. I still could. Um, but oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I could go back and listen to Tell All Your Friends for the first time again, it's just like, whoa, what what an experience that would be. It is crazy like how well like the MySpace era kind of like like back then, I remember people being like, this isn't fucking rock and roll. This is this emo pussy shit. Dude, it is the fucking face of rock and roll now. A band like Motion City Soundtrack was slept on back then. That is a great goddamn band, dude. They're a great songwriting band. Motion City Soundtrack's the shit. The, the only, I will say one person on Twitter did make me think, like, why it's not the best. <laughs> Just to end the sentence there. I know, but the reason these bands were so cool when we were like 15 and 16 is, you know, they were anti-establishment and it was new and you felt like you were part of something. Going to see The Offspring when they're like in their 60s and I'm in my 30s, it doesn't really hit the same, but, you know, I think it's still kind of cool. I got to open for The Offspring last year and they're still cool as fuck. Although I will say- Dude, they were a fly date, and they flew in a fucking uh, grand piano for one song. That's some baller old man shit right there. That's, that's pretty sick. fly. That's, that's pretty sick. fucking pretty, pretty fly, fly for a white guy, dude. That's a little job. <laughs> By the way, hi, White Sox Dave. Yeah, Dave, how are you, buddy? Hello, everybody. Dave, you look I did awesome. not expect to open my computer to Nathaniel. Check your fucking Hello. phone for Check one, dude. Check your fucking email, idiot. <laughs> Nate, or Dave has had notifications on our group chat turned off for a year now i do that with every group chat you're sweet pretty pretty good way to go i had to go when your entire livelihood depends on the group chats wait did you go today yeah i just got back two seconds ago how'd it go buddy did you uh did you fucking exercise your right as an american i did did you feel good about it actually a little bit yeah there you go congratulations Um, it's important you should everybody should vote no dave Uh, if you don't vote 100%, 100%, but not to turn this over from a music podcast to a political podcast, back to the music. The reason we had Nate on is because I don't know if you, you don't read anyone's <laughs> blogs, but he wrote a really good blog today about being older and getting to see bands you grew up with reunite, not necessarily reunite, but go on tour now. And he rattled off 10 fucking awesome bands that are all on tour this summer. Um, the thing that I think is really cool is this kind of ties into what Nate was saying about the old, old shit kind of just being finally phased out is a lot of this music is still plays very, very well nowadays, which is surprising because not to, not to give my boy MGK too much credit, but the emo wave has kind of come full circle and it's, it's fucking back. Can I do it? I know that's your boy. Travis 
realized, Barker realized, he can take anybody with a look and put them into an algorithm and beep, boop, beep, boop, and yes! just turn them into a pop punk star. Mod Sun, MGK, like, they're fine. They, they have a look. They have talent in them. But Travis figured out the formula. It was not MG- MGK is a dime a dozen. Like I suck on that, Dante. Okay, that's a good theory. I haven't suck heard that theory that. before. I actually respect a different theory other than he sucks. At least, sucks. at least you have a fucking. <laughs> that's not a theory. That's fact. When, yeah. when a theory becomes proven by multiple sources, <laughs> it, it changes from a theory. I'm well, it. It's a type of music that went away for a while. People our age who grew up with it started clamoring for it again. That that uh, all the when you were young fest became a big thing. These these small bands all started teaming up together and going on tour and doing very well. And Travis was like, "Wait, I can produce better than anybody's doing. Who's popular right now?" Who's this MGK guy? Some washed up white rapper. I'm going to make him a pop punk guy. And he did it successfully. I don't know if there's longevity to it, but it, it, it people bought in. I think it sucks, but people bought in. But the old songs yes. are still like, they're it like real. Yeah. Like second, it was real. second wins. Like it's crazy to me seeing a club go crazy. A club of predominantly 20 somethings go crazy for like Black Parade which is oh, a fucking uh, unbelievable song. But if you play another song from our era, you know, it won't necessarily hit like that. Like the emo stuff is really, really fucking. Like, Have you ever gone to an emo night at a bar or a club? It's fucking awesome. So fun. Our boy it, guns made a fucking fortune off of making that idea. <laughs> I would say yeah. he can retire off that. Yeah. easily but emo nights are everybody is there just singing along every word having such a good time it's kind of like the best vibes you can get like yep. jimmy world who i think this i think they might be my favorite band i've never seen live i like awesome. jimmy world has more hits than people realize and they've just yeah. gone for 20 years you know 25 years just gone 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 so uh, they're going to be at ocean's calling uh oh yeah in october mm-hmm. i'm very 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 excited to see them I want to we don't really to look- have anything like that out in Chicago, I feel like, Dante, do we? No, we need to, though, because... We should do that at Joe's. We could snap our finger and fucking make that happen tomorrow. Or you could do it at one of the numerous bars and clubs that Dante owns. Dante, here's an idea for you. There you Dude, go, buddy. Doesn't have oh, a fucking- that, you need a huge venue. You need a huge yeah. venue. Joe, we should, like, propose that to Salt Shed, Dave, because that Ocean's Calling lineup is sick. It's unbelievable. They did a really good job of curating... All those people. But again, that's, I feel like that's fucking, that's Mark, right? Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Like the first one got canceled um, and Dave Matthews was the headliner and he was one of the headliners who couldn't come back for this year's. So he replaced him with John Mayer, which is just bananas. And the other fun fact is John Mayer once, not once, for a tour opened up for OAR. They had a tour of OAR, Maroon 5, John Mayer and Cheryl Crow and OAR was the headliner. Holy shit. They were on a label called uh, Everfine Records and Everfine just struck gold by finding Maroon 5 and John Mayer. And Mark tells the story about Mayer where he was up at 5 a.m. every morning, every city doing radio station after radio station after radio station. And, you know, Mark was like, yeah, we were just hung over. And he was, and they just knew John <laughs> Mayer was going to be this megastar. He ends up, or no, so then Maroon 5 is on this tour. They drop songs about Jane during this tour, and they just peace out right out of the tour. <laughs> yeah, see you later. <laughs> 
And then Sheryl Crow being the random fourth act on that. It's just like a rock and roll hall of famer. Sheryl Crow's fucking incredible. Yeah. God damn. That, that that would be a great reunion tour. I'd love to see the four of them go on the road. But would OAR be headlining is the question. I mean, that, uh, Mark's so humble, he's not even headlining his own festival. Fact. Just- Very <laughs> good point. Very Dude, good when that, point. When that lineup dropped, I texted him and I said, yo, cool festival lineup. Good to see my name on there. And I was like, yo, what do you think about Foxtrot playing a set in the ocean? And he just texted back. He said, might be, uh, what do you say? It might be an insurance liability, but I'll see what I can do. And I was like, I love you, bro. I fucking love that guy. Dude, what's sick about that, too, is last year gets canceled. They upped the number of tickets from last year to this year without even putting on last year's. And knowing there might be a little back, like people you know, were mad that it got canceled. It wasn't their fault. There's a hurricane on the day of. It sucked, yeah. unfortunate. And then they sold, they sold out immediately. It's just... I mean, it is sad lo- though. He would he called me on his drive home. He's driving from uh Ocean City, Maryland back to New York City. He calls me and he's just like, Man, I'm standing there, two years of work, and it's just windy, and I'm just wondering what could have been. And a lady goes, Are you Mark? And he's like, <laughs> Yeah. And she starts scolding him for canceling the for canceling the <laughs> festival. And he's just like, Really, lady? Like he Dude. then he's talking to the merch people and he goes, so can we still sell the shirts? And they're like, no. He goes, we put the date on it, didn't we? And they're like, fuck. Oh, <laughs> oh fuck. Dude, yeah, that's listen a lesson. To listen to this Never first day fucking dates. lineup. Jack Johnson, Alanis Morissette, Slightly Stupid, Third Eye Blind, Michael Franti and Spearhead, underrated. OAR is like they the are. fucking seventh name on that list. Declan McKenna, who's a fucking huge star. Yeah. Paolo Nutini, by the way, has bangers. Devin Gilfillian, who, by the way, Philly guy, absolute stud is on there. I didn't realize that. Michigander, our homie, just had him on the podcast last week. Next day, John Mayer, Incubus, Noah Kahan, and Cheryl Crow. Dispatch, yes. Jimmy World, Ben Harper. What the fuck? This lineup's ridiculous. And then down in the bottom, bottom corner, he got Pup Punk. And uh-huh. I love I love that shit. Oh, man. Oh, Damn, I'll we- tell one more story that I don't get credit for, but I, I want it out there. So I'm sitting in the studio with Mark Bragg uh, like two and a half years ago. And he's telling me about he's putting on this festival. And he, he's talking about like, who do you think should headline this person or this person? Uh, what do you think about this, this or that? And I was like, do you think Pop Punk could get on this? And he looked at me like I was an alien. He looked at me like, how dare you fucking even say that about <laughs> my festival? I was like, no, man, I'm telling you, like they would fucking rule. And he was he was aware that we had like a, a fake in-house band, but he had never listened to their songs. I was like, listen, man, I get it, but just take a listen. I sent him like a couple YouTube videos because, you know, they did like full production music videos. Yeah. And he was like, hell yeah. Dude, and they're, le- the they're legit. I, I said this after I played that. Um, ECU? Yeah. What, what was that bar? Pup Dogs? Pup Dogs. Sup Pup Dogs. Dogs. After they won that uh, Barstool Bar contest, and I opened up for Pup Punk, and I'm standing <laughs> side stage, and I was like, holy fuck, I thought this was a joke, but these guys are legit. Roan is just a fucking, he's, he's an alien. He's like the most talented person I've ever met. PFT can fucking shred. He can. Yeah. They're a legit good fucking band. I've been talking to Robbie about this for a fucking year. I want to get them in the studio and help, like, for content, help produce a song and actually, like, get them in there and, like, let them take it seriously and see what the fuck actually happens because they can play. What, Great what's idea. What's funny about them, too, is, you know, they they have some songs with, like, hundreds of thousands of spins on Spotify and music videos with hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. People think they're a real band. There's people, they show, they 
because the algorithm they show up on just like playlists and, and and you know uh spotify developed emo set lists like it, it's pretty nuts people just think they're a band and they can't find any information about them because they don't have a website they don't have a tour <laughs> like people don't know what these people are <laughs> jesus fucking christ man uh shout out to pop punk I, I i do want to get them in the studio robbie sends me bass licks all the time just through voice memos in his phone he's like what do you think about this i'm like it's actually pretty gnarly by the way he the kid i give him credit goes out on stage shirtless all the time in like fucking leather pants he's the man i love robbie. if you had that body you would too why not dude that's exactly what i'm talking about wait how come uh, you don't are you not a real rock star I mean, dude, I'll get fucking naked right now. I really don't care. Remember when we did Nickelback and Chad Kroger walked in? He's like, Dante took his shirt off by accident. And he's like, yo, <laughs> what the fuck? And I was like, I'll take my shirt off right now. I don't give a fuck. And Chad Kroger was like, this is going to be weird. And it was. But it worked out really well for everybody. You guys kiss? <laughs> Are you kidding me, dude? We we Eskimo kiss. We just got noses up to each other. I would. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Dave, welcome back, buddy. Tell me about the religious experience that was Tedeschi Trucks Band. What do you guys want to know? Hey, How was have it? you guys seen them before? I've seen I've never Derek, seen them. I've seen Derek Trucks before, but I've never seen Tedeschi Trucks. So I have been trying to see them for like for a long time. So 2019, I had a wedding, couldn't go to their show in there in Chicago. 2020, obviously everything was shut down. 2021, I had corona. Uh 2022, I was in New York. Or no, last year I had corona. 2021, I was in <laughs> uh New York. And then, so this is like the first time I've been trying to see them. They're like my favorite fucking band on earth right now. And they were everything. They only played like three songs I even knew. And it still was incredible. Um, it, it was really cool because it's different from the Derek Trucks band who I, that's my original love, obviously, of them right. from a decade plus ago. But it's like Derek Trucks, who, this was the uh, Jay Weinberg interview. Yes. So for Derek Trucks band, like everything kind of goes funnels through him. He's the star of the show. This is so evenly spread out. And uh, like we brought Ryan Chief and Chief is a fan of them. Like I introduced them to him years ago and he said it was a top three concert he's ever been to. And their backup singer, Kenny or uh, Dante got all their names. I don't even know their backup singers at all. Matt but something. Uh, Ryan looked at me and he's like, this guy's like fucking Otis Redding. Like everybody had at least a couple of solos, either vocal, saxophone, horns, uh, drum solos. Um, and, and they, the rest of the band would just kind of stop and everybody stare at that guy or that girl and, and like watch them work. And they were all like just unbelievably talented. Then we saw them backstage for a minute in the green room and like everybody was just kind of yucking it up, having the time of their lives. Like it, it was, it was awesome. I, I, and shout out to the band. They left the tickets for us. Um, blogging does have its perks, I guess, Nathan. Um, <laughs> I tell people. That's I, I all I did was blog them. And it was kind of I'll even say it was kind of a throwaway blog. Something that I I'd I like to hear that. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't going to be like a viral or tweeted by the main account or anything. Um, but um like I, I knew that was the case, but they reached out to me. So thank you to them. Uh, first time I had ever been to Chicago theater either uh, as well. And that place is, that's the best music venue in the indoor music venue in the city. I think that place is awesome. Now, I, do the, a I mean, there's obviously nostalgia and, and history with it, but it's acoustically, it blows everywhere else out of the water. 
and you yeah, need I'll, that for a band like that. So I will say this: you just saw one of the best bands on earth by far. Derek Trucks yes. is an alien. Susan Tedeschi is an absolute unbelievable front woman. You had something tragic happen though. Dante blogged about this. Dante, yeah, I, you watch I, you, you watch Dave be the first human being ever turned down to smoke weed at a concert. Ryan was saying uh, today that the guy had a Corona mask on. I don't remember no, that. He did. No, he did not. That's what Ryan was saying. I was like, Chief was, all right. So did Chief mention that he was on fucking Mars from that 20 milligram edible? <laughs> yeah, he, he of course he was. No, I right. didn't mention that, but I, I knew so, that. When he was so I brought it. two edibles that were medicinal from my friend who has a, has a prescription and gets them for me. And they're not regular edibles. Like medicinal shit is way stronger. R Chief takes one. I, I, I go, these are 20s, thinking he's going to take a bite of a half pops the whole thing i was like oh boy oh no he's like dude i usually take 25 i'll be fine hour into it he's yeah, in fucking outer space so he doesn't know what he's talking about but yeah dave <laughs> leans over and asks this guy in front of us hey can i please get that and the guy just looks at him gives him a little up and down and just goes no <laughs> and turns back around and i i tap dave i'm like did that guy just say no to you and he's like yeah, he was stunned, as was I. It was like unfucking believable. Hey, it wasn't I, like I, were... I'll I'll spin zone it. It is a new time, you know, coming out of a global pandemic. You know, just sometimes you have to be better safe than sorry. I just looked at Dave and was like, "Ew, no, yeah. fuck that guy, fuck yeah. that guy." Oh, I tried to help you out there. <laughs> Bring your own uh, weed. Wait to go back full circle though. So every band that I liked growing up uh, is touring this summer what band i know dante's answer we have the same answer what band from your childhood do you guys want to see tour oh that's a great, great question, question. great question thinking about it you know Putting what spot i mean yeah. me and dante will chop off each other's dicks to see oasis oasis yes I mean, i've seen oasis twice uh really i saw yeah i saw them in columbia maryland my senior year of High school or freshman year of college or senior college. I don't know. All those years get Dude. jumbled with me. Um, so, so I saw Liam and Noel. Jet opened for them, by the way. Oh, Jet fucking I rules. Jet, Dude, Dude Jet I'm so album. jealous of that. I went Front through. Back. Wait, Dude, what was the second oh, time? Look what you've done. You've Great made. Song. Dude, Jet rules. Um, yeah, and then so then Oasis, obviously. And then I saw Oasis in manchester or sorry in london at wembley arena Bro, um how was that show so dude it was crazy so that was my sophomore year of okay so the first time i saw them was senior year of high school 2010 then i saw them either 2012 or 2013 in london and uh i was so drunk i'm drinking like vodka straight out of a water bottle and they have like one door to get into wembley arena because it's a raucous crowd and they're trying to keep everybody good and they're and i just i was drinking vodka and i just kind of go to the front of the line i'm an american boy drinking vodka i was like anybody want vodka in exchange for a spot in line and all the lads were like yeah mate so i uh i go in i go all the way to the front on the floor on the null side and just have the time of my life. I lost both of my shoes because it was so <laughs> everybody swaying and stuff. And it was just a wild concert experience. And this is before camera phones. So I have like my digital camera and I have all these pictures and videos and don't look back in anger with the whole crowd. 
about two months later, I lost that camera. I don't have anything from it. Oh, so, no. Oh, that, that must have been right before they split up. Uh, if you go into YouTube, it's I think it's 2013 Wembley Arena. They filmed it for MTV2. So if you squint at the right moment, you can see the back of my head. That's but so it was. I'm so <laughs> jealous. I saw them in like 96. I think it was the it was the first concert I ever went to. And I was like, fell in love instantly with live music, fell in love with them even more. And then I hit kind of a hip hop phase in my life where I would only go to like rap shows and didn't really go to rock shows. And I never thought they were going to break up. So I skipped all the, that the two or three American tours they did during that time. And now like, I don't know what I'm going to do when they do reunite and I see them because we're moving I, to Europe. What do you mean? You have to, I no. I'm saying after I see them, oh. it's going to happen. Nate and I are like, we, we text it, once a week. It's we cut this, cut this 20, not cut it, like clip it summer 2024. They will be playing shows. I, I, I don't want to guarantee it. I'm pretty sure that it will happen. Summer 2024, they will play shows. I there's think it's no happening way you, this summer. I there's think it's no way you can summer. sit on a fucking lottery ticket like that. You're already like the most beloved band that's not together in the world. That's a billion dollar tour right there. No matter what, how much they, they should get other. back together, announce whatever headline, Glastonbury, some shit like that. Come on stage, start playing the first song, have an argument and walk off. And then they'd be <laughs> legend status for like eternity. What I think they'll do is they'll play like 10 shows. They'll play a ginormous show in Australia, you know, 100,000 people outside back-to-back -back nights. They'll do a Glastonbury or Nebworth, you know, 200,000 people back-to-back -back nights. They'll do something big, maybe like Piedmont Park, Atlanta or Central Park, something. You know, they'll play monster shows, maybe 10 of them, and that'll be it. You know, they'll play yeah. uh, South America. They'll play um, Japan, whatever. And that'll be it. I, I'm guessing they'll play 10 cities and it'll be massive. Have you I seen don't either, hate that. Have you ever seen either of the brothers live sans the other brother? Have you seen Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds or you yeah. seen Liam do his own thing? I've, yeah, I've seen him each. I've seen him each 10 times. I saw it to Johnny. Johnny's going to Johnny is going to laugh at this. I, I had side stage passes right. for Liam at Lollapalooza. I think it was 2018. And I'm fucking super pumped. They fucked him, though, because they put him on at like 4 p.m. on like a Friday. He opened up like Lollapalooza. And he walked up there. Crowd was not bad. More people than you'd expect. But it wasn't fucking packed by any means. He walked up. He did about 10 bars. Yeah. And then he turned to his guitarist and started screaming at him. And then he walked <laughs> off the stage and that was it. That's what I want people out of the Liam fucking, Gallagher show. People were pissed. That's I was what I want out of the Liam Gallagher show. What's crazy is they've, <laughs> Noel and Liam have reverse roles. Like, all Liam was always the asshole, the piece of shit, and Noel was the guy with his life together. Liam is beloved, and yes. Noel is the guy who is a cunt and Salty like, cunt, will yes. not reunite the band. Like, Liam is the cool guy now. Liam is selling, Liam did solo Nebworth. And Noel's trying to do, you know, PlayStation Theater. Like, dude, they're they, fucking CIA. This is a psyop to make sure that like, people are, keep on talking about them. That's the 
that clip this. I, I think this is all a fucking conspiracy. They're best friends. They have an underground <laughs> mansion in like the bottom of London that they meet up and like drink expensive wine and shouldn't go like, look at these assholes. They keep talking about us getting back together. It's never going to happen. Nah, but, but Nate, you're 100% right though because I do remember always thinking like you watch like the MTV Unplugged thing where Liam didn't show up and Noel had yep. to do the whole show and it was like, wow, Noel's a, or Liam's a real piece of shit. And then you fast forward 20 years, it's like, Dude, Liam doing GQ interviews and fucking all Noel ever does is complain. That's it. Yep. And by the way, no Liam's last solo record is better than anything that the Five Flying Birds have done. It's really oh, fucking Five Flying good. Birds is not good. No, I, there's a Kenny. I hear you, motherfucker. Pop out. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, he's Kenny. smoking a bong, I think. <laughs> That's what the fuck I'm talking about. Yo, I will say I saw. I saw Nolan High Flying Birds at Chicago Theater, and it was one of the weirdest. It was a good show, but he has a girl in the band that plays scissors as an instrument. What? I'm not kidding. Shears, big shears. She plays them into a microphone. I was, I, I was a little like trying too hard on that one. Like that scene oh. from Big Lebowski where Flea's running around with the shears. I'm picturing that, dude. You got to look it up. It was one of the weirdest, like hipsterish things I've seen in a long. What kind time. of Bullshit, Andy Warhol, backwoods kind of nineteen sixties art rock bullshit. Is he trying to pull off here? Like, don't play Shears. Get out of here, um, Kenny. Do you have anything to add to anything we just did? Yeah. Can you guys do me a favor and repeat everything you said for the last twenty minutes? And then yeah, I'll- no problem. Move on, you motherfucker. What do you take? No, we were we were talking about how cool it is that a lot of these emo and ninety bands are back together and playing live shows, and we actually have money now, so we can go see them. Granted. Right. Fucking concert tickets are astronomical, but it's good having the means to go see them and just the ability to go see them. And they sound pretty fucking good still. Well, to to, to backtrack on this, because Nate asked a good question, which we didn't answer. It's yeah. Kenny. I know your answer, too, by the way. What one of these bands would you most want to see? And I know your answer. It's wait, fucking Limp Biscuit. Wait, wait. It's... A band from the 90s yeah. or like before that. That are now reuniting and going out on tour. That you could see. You could pick one of them. Who would you pick? Yo, I bought Limp Biscuit tickets. I know. Oh, no. I tried to buy Limp Biscuit tickets. I was midnight, ready to go, 11.59. Midnight, hit the button. Sold out. I tried. Yeah, I was Yet yet another band that, like, absolutely has flipped the narrative. Can I say this? If you want to see Limp Biscuit. You can see Limp Biscuit. It, it, <laughs> it's not Taylor Swift. Like, if you want to go to a Limp Biscuit show, it's not like God yeah, damn it. Kenny's got to see Limp Biscuit show anyways. Yeah, Kenny's got the pull, and he's still gonna get the ticket. I wanted to go see Limp Biscuit real bad. I'm sure I can make it happen. But what I'm loving about their comeback is Fred's new vibe of like, I don't give a shit at all and it comes off kind of sick i kind of like it how is that a new See, vibe? On, the only thing old, kenny cares about is people vibe. not caring yeah no, his old vibe was like he's got the hat and he's all backwards now he's just like big glasses kind of cool like it's a different fucking vibe and it's kind of really tight dad vibes is a like, smash through the roof <laughs> so sick Oh man, we just I, want to. We just love nostalgia. I think that's I really what it is. Borland is they, still fucking dressing weirdly, up. Limp Biscuit played MSG last year, and MSG one is very expensive to play if you're the artist, and two, you need to be popular to play MSG. But they booked it, and I think like thirty five hundred people went. And Dude, they that just- happened to us when I played MSG one of one of the times. 
when we did the Prophets of Rage tour, they kept having to like black out half of the seat. You know what I mean? Because it was like half sold and shit. How the yeah, fuck? I, I assume it was just like a bucket list Limp Biscuit thing. He's like, I want to play MSG. We're going to do it. I mean, they played the half of Civilization at Woodstock 99. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they've had their moments. As fucked up as the things that happened during that performance are, that performance, for, I mean, the corn performance at Woodstock 99, the Limp Biscuit performance, like, there's some special, magical, fucking religious moments that happened at that show. I have no interest in seeing corn. None. None. No, I don't have it. I don't have any interest in seeing corn either. You strike me as a guy who was into corn. Loved corn. I'm from Florida. Dude, uh, <laughs> follow the leader and well, whatever that first one was came out when I was like 13. Wait, like does the I'm from Florida just mean like I'm trash? Of course yeah. I like corn. Brown piece oh, Nate, welcome to the podcast, dude. This is yeah. 90% of the conversation. Yo, I had corn sticker. I don't find a photo. I there's a photo of me. In board shorts, shirtless, Florida, playing drums outside with a corn sticker on the front of my drum kit. Yeah. Were you an Asian? <laughs> were you an Asian kid with dreadlocks? No, but I did have short dreads for a little while. Did you? Back on my leash is my favorite music video of all time. Great music video. Which one? Freak on a leash. leash with the girl playing hopscotch and the bullet. Yo, I mean, listen, those fucking that record, the way that smashed into pop charts with like metal and screaming, like, come on, man, dude, I still remember kids like bringing their fucking chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavor water to school to show us that they got it. Yeah, dude, like, I was that kid. Were you? <laughs> yeah, that album is awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Oh, awesome. It is. My way or the highway. Yeah, that was my actual. That was one of my walkout songs, and I demanded we put it on our pregame playlist for football when I was in high school, because it was just an ultimate pump up song to me. Like I wanted to fucking kill someone when I would hear it. You were such a meat wad, dude. Oh yeah. Oh my god, unbelievable. <laughs> Far behind them. There. All right. We'll, yeah, we'll Collins. Get... Even even the way Collins says meat wad is such a fucking <laughs> meat wad <laughs> way of saying it. Meat wad. Fuck, dude. I can't even understand what you say with your fucking stupid South African accent. <laughs> it's it's fake. Even English. Jeez. Yeah. Play, play me some music. Play me some music while I go into the interview. Yeah. No. No. Please. Oh Jesus, Johnny! Come on, man! What do you got? What do you guys want to hear? Something soft. Something, no, you know what? Give me. I just, want, I just want sound effects. If anybody has a Taylor Swift hookup, uh, tickets are way too expensive. They are too expensive. They shouldn't be because it's not worth it. Are you a Taylor Swift guy? I love. I've loved Taylor Swift since like her beginning. I've. I, I'm not like one of these new Taylor Swift wannabes. <laughs> I legitimately have loved Taylor Swift since day one. The purest. Agree. Yeah, I'm Nate, a Taylor Swift hipster. Is that Nate? Tell me if you she's chat GPT five, by the way, <laughs> she's right. the unreleased chat GPT, but it's been going since like 25 years ago. Brother, there's you one do? person I think I would like, this is gay as hell. I think I would cry if I met her. Like I <laughs> fucking love Taylor Swift. Uh, I, I haven't been as intimidated as I was meeting her. I don't think in my entire life, she is crazy tall. First yeah. off, like I was shocked how tall she is. She's like 5'10", right? Yeah. Dude, she seems tall. And she wears heels, so she's like fucking sky high. Cybernetic organism, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did, you Hamlin. Did you roll a fucking ball out to her and ask her to play one-on-one? -on -one? Like, what's the deal here? That's no, what I, I do. Like, I was like shaking. I was like fucking speechless. Uh, but, Nate, being a day one fan or day two fan, do you kind of resent all the people that hated her that now love her, like White Sox Dave, 
And what? that is not, not fucking true. Do not like her as much anymore because I personally kind of have fallen off the the wagon a little bit. No, I I think she's I think she's the best artist of our lifetime. And uh, wow, I I mean I, I <laughs> even I after we just talked about Limp Biscuit, like you're still you're gonna hold her up to Limp Biscuit today? Yeah, I mean it's the big four, right? Durst, Swift, <laughs> Beyonce. <laughs> Wow. Don't fucking throw, don't fucking trash Beyonce for no reason. Yeah, I'm not trying to get that smoke online. That's not what I want. You don't want the Bayhive. I don't. Would you rather, wow. Dante, would you rather see Beyonce or Taylor Swift? I've seen them both many times. Fantastic live live shows. That's a really good way of skirting that answer. I was going to say, where's your fucking answer? Where's your, where's your backbone, bro? I got a better question for you. Who do you hate more? Who do you like least? <laughs> Less. Taylor Swift or Beyonce? Clip this. Limp Bizkit, yeah. <laughs> no, we uh, dude, ask me the who would I rather yeah, see between to those women two? Women, man. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, what's the deal with that, Dante? Why do you I try agree. to pit women I, against women? I told you last week. The I still I have to fucking finish this blog too, so I can include our podcast episode. But the I love I I can't fucking go to a concert and leave mad. I just love live music. I don't care if they're famous or fucking no names but the most disappointed i've been in a long time at a concert was bruce Frick, bruce springsteen last weekend or last week wait was, did he mail it in wah, wah, wah. it was just very meh it wasn't wow. it wasn't like holy shit like every other time i've seen him it was just very meh and tickets were fucking so expensive that that's it was like, why you're jaded on the experience though i think how much is right. it, how much is a ticket i have no context Dude, we for sat we sat in the hundred side stage. Uh, they weren't bad seats, but they weren't fucking good by any means. They're fucking three, almost four hundred dollars. That's what I'd expect. A pop. Yeah. I can't imagine what floor seats were. And I mean, they sold tickets for seats behind the stage. Yeah, <laughs> like there are people, the blue collar tickets. There are people <laughs> watching. There are people watching their backs the whole show. Brutal. <laughs> I saw Taylor Reputation Tour at MetLife, and it was phenomenal. And I don't remember tickets, like, killing me. I, I don't remember being like, this is unaffordable or anything. I look at Taylor tickets this tour for MetLife every day. I, I mean, game time, somebody listening to this podcast, I don't know. Like, I... I I, how much is a ticket? Like, again, how, I, mean, I, I don't want to sit upstairs. I want to, like, have a memorable, close experience i'm gonna pay over a thousand dollars for a ticket and i know oh i'm gonna God. do it and it's just it's insane the now, prices Nate, are a, insane now once again welcome to the podcast this is a conversation we have regularly but when the pandemic happened and everything shut down you knew they were getting their money back somehow you can't yeah. start out on two three years of touring and not expect to come back and get gouged like a motherfucker and that's what they're doing right now which sucks balls because you don't want to pin it on the artist right you don't because it's, it's Ticketmaster, it's all that shit. We can get right. down a rabbit hole with that. But at the same time, there are some artists that are taking it by the balls. Zach Bryan's out here making a legitimate name off himself as all my homies hate Ticketmaster. Like, there are certain people that are putting their foot down and saying, fuck that shit. Bruce and Taylor are not doing that, once again, because they don't have to. Their reputations are fucking solidified. They can make the money. People are going to pay it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, dude, I don't hate on people for, like, it's. I mean, it's business. Charge whatever you want for it. You know, eventually... People do push back if it gets too out of control. I think the more like the more fucked up thing about the whole 
pandemic and what's going to happen to live music is actually that all the little venues died, got bought up by massive real estate companies, and and you've lost those. Like it's fine to have the stadiums. Like you need a big company running those. You can't have some like mom and pop shop running fucking a stadium. But now. Like I know personal friends in Phoenix and you know various cities where it's like the the pressure they felt to just try and keep a two hundred or three hundred cap room open is just impossible. You know, and you need yeah. those though. Everyone cuts their teeth in those. That's a very important thing. And it once again goes back to like where are artists going to learn how to play shows? They're not going right to fucking thousand cap theaters. They're going to the two three hundred spots and fucking cutting their teeth like pianos in the Lower East Side or Milk Boy in Philadelphia. Like we need those. And Taylor Swift has to do something about it, apparently. That's where we yeah, come back to the... Apparently it's, it's all on her. <laughs> yeah, because she's out here playing 200-cap rooms. Do you think she ever played a 200-cap room in her life? Hell yeah. I'm no, sure no. there's some uh, animated uh, played, footage like, of her dude, looking like she played by, at she little got, venues. She, she played little by, Nashville places for a hot minute, for like yeah. a very hot minute. But after that, not dude, She really. got dropped by her first label, don't forget. Ah, uh, dude, come on. I've seen that propaganda piece, Dante. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, serious. Yeah, Dante, yeah, when you read the New York Times shit. article where they got no, the underdog. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, that scrappy. She also script. holds her own guitar and plays it, right? Dude, yeah, like that, you can't fucking. I could, under- I could do that right now on, on video AI. Put Dante <laughs> there, pretend he's playing at a Nashville bar. Yeah, it's that, just Dante from the block. That scrappy underdog <laughs> with her hedge fund millionaire dad. All right, I'm fucking out of yeah, here. I, fuck you. All right, I'm going to leave. All right, well, let's just go. You know what? We're not even going to do segments after this. We went on. Oh, do them. Have Nate fill in for me. Nate, thanks for coming on, buddy. I got to, I got to guys. Huff my bird, Dante. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go into our interview. It's a fantastic one. We just wrapped it with the motherfucking goat, Rob Thomas. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Barstool backstage on the guest list today. One we've been waiting for. Singer, songwriter, Grammy Award winner, the leader of Matchbox 20, Mr. Rob Thomas in the building. Rob, how are we, buddy? Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, hey. man. I, I almost stood up for that. I'm fucking hype. Me too. Oh, what? oh sorry. No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, Rob, we can't thank you enough for being here. It's my pleasure, man. A new Matchbox 20 record on the way. Right. How much longer do we have to wait? Uh, it comes out May 26th is the full album. Unbelievable. And what's and I it think been like? we just released, like, uh, we just put out a single, but then we'll just kind of release songs along the way, probably as well. Dude, the new single, Dante sent the new single in the group chat like a week ago. It, my first reaction, it's perfect pop rock, dude. It's, it's, Thanks, you guys man. are still so in the pocket. It's unbelievable. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. We, you know, we weren't, we weren't going to make a record. Our, our whole plan originally in 2020 was I had like, I was just almost finished with another solo record. Everybody is kind of busy doing things. And so we were going to tour in 2020 make a song or two and put that out. And that was kind of going to be it. And then, you know, 2020 and 2021, everybody was locked down. Nobody was doing shit. And so it was 2022 when we still like, in my house, we weren't quite ready yet to, to embark on a real tour. And so, but all of our friends were, you know, like all the other bands that we know were all out in 2022. So that was the first time we felt guilty and we felt bad. And so we decided that maybe we'd use that year instead and just put together a record. Because I, I mean, we've we've had friends of yours on the podcast. Mark Robert from OAR is like our. Oh yeah, Mark's the man. Our, I know you guys just got in. The, you were in the studio with him recently, writing, weren't you? Yeah, his. So his guy, 
that he that does a lot with him, a guy named Greg Wattenberg, who produced one of their songs that him and I wrote with Greg. He also did the Matchbox 20 record as well. So Greg just has this great little studio in the city that just becomes like this little uh, like modern version of the Brill Building, right? Where it's just all these writers and artists just kind of coming through at all times. It's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so Rob, so we lined this up with your label last week. And right after that, I'm in my car driving and your song comes on and I'm like, I didn't see the dash. I didn't see that it was you guys, but I was like, this is really fucking good. Who is this? So I pulled up the dash. I was like, holy shit. So I texted the group. I'm like, guys, this is like 20 minutes after we just found out we were going to have you on this week. Like, you got to listen to the new Matchbox record. It's like legit, really fucking good. What? Yeah, we, we decided, I think that we should put it out without any name on it, just in case there's people that just <laughs> think, that they, they think that they hate us. And we can be like, no, no, you don't. No, I mean, not like a lot of artists will adapt to new sound and it, it just doesn't fit. But I mean, it sounds it sounds like you guys, but it yet it doesn't sound like you guys, if that makes sense. How Like what what is that attributed to? Where did you guys how did this song come about? Where'd you record it? How'd the writing process so, go? So we did it. Um, a lot of stuff. So we would start off and do everything in our own. Like everybody has a studio at home, right? So me and Paul and Kyle, we wait until we'd have like a good three or four songs that we really felt strong about. Then we'd all come to New York together and then we'd work on those three songs, three or four songs, go back and do the, do that all over again. And we kept doing that in, in, in cycles so that we would, you know, have a chance to live with some stuff. You record it, you live with it a little bit. Um, you know, for, for writing, it's been, it's really weird. Like we've never, we've always tried to write stuff that we think should be, that we want people to hear, obviously, that we think should be on the radio, but maybe stuff that doesn't sound like what's on the radio. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that we we want to bring a, an immediacy to it that, ma that makes it feel like you, you should want to listen to it, you know? Where I think we're like, I don't listen to a lot, like I listen to a lot of new music, but I don't listen to a lot of like pop music. And so I have a harder time fitting in, but luckily Greg Wattenberg, you know, he knows who we are and he listens to a lot of radio. And so he knows, I think there are certain just sonically things that you that producers think about that I don't think about that just really is like literally in the DNA of like the drum track, you know, mm. just sounding slightly different, just having like a certain gate on it that just makes it sound a little more modern than if you had just, you know, recorded it a different way. And luckily, I don't have to care about any of those fucking things. Like that's not <laughs> my job. So, so I'm just like have to write a really good lyric and a really good melody. You know, I have to like try and write a song that if I played for you guys just with the guitar, you would get it. And then, you know, hopefully there's some big brain out there that's going to help us figure out how we can get that on the radio. And is that something you've kind of consciously tried to keep separated in your own head throughout your career? Like, have you ever been tempted to get into the weeds in terms of the producing side? Or you just like want to keep it nice and pure, write a, write a song, let uh, other people kind of handle that aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, I've tried producing and tried producing for other people. I'm not great at it. I mean, you know, and I think there's a reason why, like, you know, you have bands like you too. That are, that are some of, you know, the, the most prolific bands in the world. They've, they've done, you know, so many different things. They always work with a producer because it's just something about right. getting something out of someone else. Like I produce my demos. I'll spend all year long producing like two or three albums worth of demos to make one good album eventually. You know, like there's right. a lot, there's a lot of shit that goes out with the bathwater when it's all said and done. That's you a know? pretty good ratio if you're at like two or three to one. Yeah, it's really not bad at all. I mean, and by the way, <laughs> And not every record that not every song that makes on the record is great, but, but at least like, you know, 
you know that that I, I you know I worked through a whole process trying to get there. And and you know, like a lot of things, you have to finish the bad ones because you don't know. Like sometimes in the fourth quarter of a writing a song, something turns around, you see it totally differently. And then it becomes something that it wasn't at the very beginning. So there's a lot of, of work that goes, you know, sometimes they're like full on eight hour demos where I'm doing like drums and bass and really pulling stuff together. And none of that will ever be heard. We don't use any of it, but it just helps me get to the ending song. Yeah. Try to catch a vibe. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we talk about this a lot as songwriters. We're all songwriters. Like I always say, like, I don't do any of the production stuff. It doesn't interest me. I leave that to people like Kenny, who's a world-class producer to handle that kind of shit. But you said something interesting, too, because we talk about it, too. Like, it's important to keep those demos because you might pull something out of one of those dog shit songs that might be good for yeah. another piece of another song. Dude, how many times has somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about told you, you know, if it's good enough, you'll remember it. You don't oh, need to. yeah. And, like, that's that's just bullshit, man, because there's so, like <laughs> I can go back now probably and find something from a year or two ago in my voice notes that will just strike me differently. It's just a melody that might be a verse, and but now I know where it's supposed to go. Or I'll write a chorus and I'll like I'll I'll remember something and go back mining through that stuff. And then a lot of things that you know, like the the big mistake I used to make was, uh, like waking up in the middle of the night and writing down something, mm-hmm. because so much of it is melody based. That when you wake up and you look at the notes that you wrote down, if you don't remember the cadence and you don't remember the melody that came with that line, that line means nothing to you anymore. So like you're way yeah. better off with a voice note that just goes. Then you are actually writing down like a really great <laughs> lyric, you know. I- if yeah. someone were to find my phone and go through my voice memos, it would sound like the like the diary of somebody losing their mind because it's so yeah, much just humming into my like phone. Listening to the like the first inkling of an idea, they would just be like, "Dude, you are fucking overpaid." <laughs> <laughs> That's I think great. I, That's- you guys have had so many hits and you've done so much individually as well, but I don't think people give you enough credit as just a great American songwriter. You know I, what? I don't song- think people give me enough credit as a great American. Honestly. Nick Roy, dude. <laughs> Like, and I am all about freedom, dog. I'm about that freedom life. Um, no, uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I'm not good at compliments, so I'm like fucking. I'm master deflector as soon as they come at me. <laughs> Hell yeah! I mean, dude, we 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 run. I ran through like this past like week on the treadmill. I've been running through just the Matchbox Twenty discography, like a song like Bright Lights to me. If, if that would have been released in like the '70s, that would be like a fucking all-time anthem to me. Like, it's very like. Hey, I hate to use the term like "Hey Jude" Beatles kind of shit. Same key, but it's the first song I always play when I sit down at the piano. Anytime I sit down at the piano, "Bright Lights" is the first thing that comes. Oh, out that's awesome! Yeah, I um, so- I love that man. I love that record actually. Like that whole record, more than you think you are. Like you know, it, it's it's hard now if you're a new band to to get lucky enough to make it to a to to get to like to the third album, right? And the mm. third album is really a place where you start to find yourself and you start to kind of figure out cuz your first record it's all raw talent and hopefully a good producer and you like the sound of that record people are listening to you learn how to make a record. People mm. are like are listening to, you know, you just trying to figure out where the fucking buttons are and how to, you know, and like how to just how to sing in a studio. You know, you've been singing like in bars for the you know the last 3 or 4 years and traveling around in your van like playing, you know, uh, at college bars and stuff. And now you're in a studio. It's a different mindset. It's a different muscle. And then your second record, if you're lucky enough to have success on your first record, you that's the one where you spend a little too much money. Like, you know, like we were lucky to, <laughs> when we could and like have like 68 piece orchestras and throw it and you know, just throw everything at it, you know? <laughs> 
And then if you're lucky again, then the third record is where it's to, you settle into yourself. And we as a band were like, this kind of, we, this feels like who we sound like. And it's funny that like, if you see us live now, even the stuff from the first record, it kind of sonically now sounds a lot more like the third record. <laughs> you know, like it just kind of, it sounds a little more like a band and I think a little less polished in that way. Hey, Coming, I, <laughs> I was oh. going to say, we're talking about the first record. I mean, you guys came out swinging, obviously. Like, what was the process for you guys, like, of, like, your early days to getting signed to that adjustment period of, like, putting out a record like that? Well, I, you know, at first off, I, I missed over one of the, like, the main things that, that everybody knows when you make your first record is that the first record is the record that you have your whole life to write, right? right? And then that's why the second record is usually that sophomore slump, because you, you have to write it in a shorter period of time. You got to come up with that material. I was in a band with Brian and Paul from Matchbox called Tabitha Secret. And right at the end of it, it got fucking ugly. I mean, it was, there was, everybody had a lawyer. I mean, it got like ugly, like people bringing their parents for an intervention. <laughs> like that kind of ugly, like, like what? We've, we've done that. It's, it's nasty. Like we were, we were one step away from like, I don't know. We were like Metallica in therapy and we, um, but so it got really, really bad. And so there was a lot of songs, even though I, I wrote everything, I didn't understand copyright law or any of those things. So like when the, when the old guitar player from the band just came over and just handed me a bunch of copyright papers, I signed everything. So every song immediately was written by me and these two other guys that have never written a song in their life. And, uh, and so the only one I kept out of that was 3AM, just because that song was really <laughs> important to me and I love that song. And so even though their name is still on it and they get paid for it, I was just, I'm not going to go out into the world and not bring that song because, you know, when you're in a local band, you put out your local CDs or uh, local cassettes really at the time. And we were like, uh, we, you know, you put out five new songs, but 3 a.m.'s on that. And then when you do the next five songs, 3 a.m.'s on that one too. And then, you know, because you, you think that's the one that's going to get you signed. Uh, so I, we got a record deal and I had six months. I wrote everything except for 3 a.m. I wrote that entire first record in that six month window. So wow. like for me, the first record was my second record. Like I felt like, you know, I really kind of, and I'm so glad it was because when I listened back to those dog shit songs, like it would, I, it never would have been, like it never would have been a successful record of any kind. And unless I'd had that kind of fire that was lit under me. And then it was also lit by a producer who inspired me, like having a great, great producer made me want to write better. And knowing that Atlantic Records had signed on to me made me want to write better. So like, I just, I really was focused in a way that I'd never focused on anything before. So I think, and then we went in for that record and, uh, and just practiced it live for like a month and a half so that by the time we went in the studio, we could just play that record live, you know, cause we didn't want to waste any money. <laughs> you know, yeah. So we wanted to be ready. So, you know, you rent like one of those, like one of those, you, you storage spaces and just no way. Like eight hours a day. Yeah. So we were, I mean, I, we were, I wonder if that happens anymore be. just because of the way production. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Kenny. Oh, go ahead. Pre-pro happens anymore. All I do is make records with bands and you just kind of show up and, now it's written as it's recorded as opposed to writing it and then taking it to the producer in the studio. It's such a weird thing. I, I think you can hear that, though. To, to me, you feel like you're hearing – that's so interesting to hear you saying that, Rob, because there's something about that that the organic aspect of four, five, six, you know, any number of musicians coming together and figuring it out like in reality – that shapes a song in so, in so many ways better than just the way we all kind of tend to do it these days, which is like record a bit today, come back six weeks later, and you know, like there's no stream of consciousness or no uh, 
line of consciousness. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this was 95 or 96. So we were really lucky. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, there's so many little factors that all have to land perfectly for it to have a success. Right. And, you know, there's all this luck that has to go in the right place, right time. And one of those things was just that what was happening in like top 40 radio was what we were doing. It was guys in bands playing music. You know, it wasn't, it hadn't moved over into rhythmic and it hadn't moved over, you know, into the kind of the really super dancey pop that it is now. So it would just so happen that like that was a skill set that people were being rewarded for. And so like we, and we were lucky enough to kind of, that was what we did at the time. Uh, and that really helped. But, you know, like my son now is 24. He just graduated from Berkeley College of Music, moved out to LA. He's got his band called The Lucky. And uh, he, uh, they don't know what a demo is. Like when I mention a demo, they look at me like I'm high because like you said, they're making the record like immediately, you know, like when they start that, that drum is the drum. And then when they, like, they're just making an album as they go along. It's kind of crazy because, and because if you came like where we did, there used to be a period where you'd play somebody, an A&R or a friend, uh, what you were playing. And they knew instinctively that this was a demo and they, they listened past it to hear like what, you know, what it could be. And now, like, I think even, you know, the A&R guys, a lot of them are now, they're, they're in their 20s. They're coming into the business. They're not, they're not equipped with that skill. Like, they don't know what, a, they don't listen, they can't listen to just a demo with an acoustic guitar. They have a harder time imagining what that finished product is. No, I mean, like. literally when bands and, uh, are turning in, like you're saying, demos now, they're actually being fully mastered. Like, you won't yeah. even turn in a demo that's not mastered because people would be like, it sounds kind of quiet and like low energy. Like, yeah, it hasn't gone through the whole fucking process yet. Yeah. But yeah, that, it's, oh, that vision and that gap is now huge and missing. And don't forget, by the way, now when you, put, when you hand in that perfectly polished, done demo, you also have to have a billion followers on TikTok for them to take you in too. Like, <laughs> yeah. you literally now, I mean, it's kind of, you, you have to come in and you do all the heavy lifting. You know, you, you make the record, you get the followers, you bring in, and then, you know, they'll yeah. give you the key to let you come in. They want the finished product. Um, yeah. I have a two-parter here for you. One, how do you have a 24-year-old son? You look like you're like in your 30s. <laughs> well, because uh, I'm, I'm 51. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Drop uh, the skincare routine. What are we doing here? Dude, yeah. Oh, no, I, I just, I have this filter. <laughs> <laughs> two. Um, you said you don't listen to pop music, right? Currently, which I respect. Who are you listening to? Who are some of your well, like groups or bands? Or first off, I'm not like I don't mean a diss to pop music because I know there's a there is a specific skill that I don't have that's involved in making these great pop records. You know, like I have so much respect for these producers and these artists that that pull that off. Like it's not me. Um, you know, like I it's like right now all I'm listening talent. to is Wu Tang. Just because I'm watching that new Wu Tang show on, uh, oh, yeah. on Hulu, it's so yeah, good. My wife and I are just like fucking. We're going way back into all the the archives of of like like every day. Like we're cooking at the house and just blaring Wu Tang. <laughs> Dude, that's but, uh, awesome. But like you know, I'm I'm kind of like in the boat of like you know the Father John Misty's, you know, and and kind of like those kind of these a little bit left of center singer songwriter you know kind of types. Nice. I mean, you want to talk about an artist who does things that nobody else can do. We talk, we've talked about Father John Misty a hundred times on here. His yeah. songs, the, the chord structures make no sense, but they're perfect. 
Well, you can. You know, here's the thing. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. You just have to be willing to give up certain things here to kind of gain certain things over here. And when I think of people that say, well, there's no good music. I mean, that's the laziest sentence I've ever heard anyone say, because obviously there is. Maybe it's not coming at you the ways that you're used to receiving it, and you need to kind of take a little initiative and go out and find it on your own. But there's so many, I mean, now there's so much great music out there and there's so much access to it. It's just not being hand delivered to you with a bow like it used to be through four different places. Now you have to kind of find it on your own. On all down one one thing. I got a question for you. Uh, well, one, Orlando boy, Bishop Moore. I know you're from Orlando. It's nice. Yeah, Lake Brantley. <laughs> uh, curious as i come from the one hit wonder world i'm curious i'm always interested in the pressures of the second record your first record was fucking gargantuan diamond right did you guys did you feel some gnarly pressure on that second record did it take you to a dark place did you second guess what you were making i'm always curious about that sophomore record mentality we we didn't think anything of it until everybody started telling us that we should like <laughs> we were because like I mean, you gotta you gotta imagine when you when you start one of the things that that is key to 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 having any kind of success at all is you have to have a little bit of just like willful ignorance to the possibility like to just the staggering odds against you going into it you have to actually believe everybody wants this and but I'm gonna actually do it and and I have something to say and people really need to hear it and you need to fucking believe that in your heart. So when we went into that first record, there was a sense of, well, yeah, I mean, this, this is what we set out to do. And, and look, we've done that. It's so easy. And then, <laughs> and then we realized, you know, I think all of a sudden we're that same band, but we're on a bigger stage. And we're not playing with, with, with you know, Craven Melon in Charleston at the Music Hall. We're playing with the Stones and Smashing Pumpkin at a state, you know, in a stadium. Oh. And it's like oh shit, we got to get better quick. So then, you know, then you're like, you, you really start, you know, just jobbing, just playing every night, trying to just become a better band. And so I, I think in that time, I, had, I right in between is when I worked with Carlos and we did Smooth, um, which was a huge injection into me of like being around an idol and around these amazing musicians and kind of seeing how that's done. And, uh, and so for us, it, like it really felt like it was clicking because our first number one single was the first single off that second record when we put out Bent. Like that was the oh, first, really? like the first number one single. So then it felt like, I mean, honestly, for a second, it was kind of like, see, I told you, it's kind of easy. Like, <laughs> I mean, we still, I think, you know, we were still kind of like caught up in that, you know, in that sense of like, you know, well, we're not really good at anything except for this. So it's okay to be a little proud of it. Um, and, you know, and I think also because we've always, we've always had like an eye on like all these bands that we love, how much we love them and the distance between us and them. And so it's always been about like filling up that distance between me and the things that I love and trying to, and closing that gap as much as I can at every turn. Awesome. Do you still have any sense of pressure or expectation when you're putting out a new album now? Like obviously record sales are not a thing anymore, but do you have expectations about what you'd like to see happen or is, or is it just like we want people to enjoy the music? Is it that simple? I mean, it's, that's a, a layered question, I think, you know, and just in that there's, uh, you want, we have an initiated, initiated group of fans over the last 30 years. So we have a group of people that we know are there that kind of want to hear. And then because of the kind of band that we are, we're basically a radio band. We also have a, a, a large kind of a swath outside of that circle of casual fans. 
People uh-huh. who are like, if you ask them, uh, who's your favorite five bands, Matchbox 20 doesn't show up on that list. But then if you go, what do you think of Matchbox 20? They're like, oh man, yeah, I like that band. That's a good band, right? Yeah. And so we kind of, we know that there's an audience out there for it. I'm more surprised now. Like when I, like when somebody's like, you know, oh my God, I was just listening to your record. I'm like, really? Like, really? really? <laughs> I think I'm more surprised as we get older. Um, there's a sense of, there's some pressure that gets let out over here because we're in our fifties. Nobody's expecting, you know, we, we did the, we did the race. We, 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 we paid mm-hmm. the ticket for the ride in the nineties. Like that was, you know, so that we could get on this ride and so that we could be here. And then we worked it and worked it and worked it and had a lot of continuous success back to back to back. And then my solos right. came out and I was lucky enough to have success there. And so the pressure of like, I'm like, if you don't like me now, there's I, I, the love me game has got to be over, right? Like, <laughs> right. oh my God, you got to love me. Please love me. <laughs> like now it's like, you know, I really hope you like this song. I hope that this song means something to you. Like as a band and as a writer, we've always been like, like songs that are attached to people's lives in ways that like they, they play it at their wedding and their birthdays and funerals. Like I have, mm-hmm. uh, I have a woman that when she passed away, she put one of my song titles on her gravestone. Like, wow. That's like you're, it's big. It's not about you and it's not about talent. It's about the way that somehow that little song made it into someone's life and made them feel something. And so like, that's what you, you want to be somebody's Saturday night and somebody's Sunday morning, you know, with a record as much as you possibly can. And so that's the pressure there is just like to hope that it, that we're still doing well enough or have done well enough that it can get out into the world and find enough ears yeah. to hear it. Man, I mean, you are dropping yeah, that makes some sense. gems. You are dropping gems. some, some gem sound bites. Well, so uh, on the note of like, I've got, kind of I've like, got my teleprompter right here. No, no, you can tell if you're yeah. you're authentic as it comes. I'm I'm like blown away. Like this. Ted's on the other side of the screen holding up cue cards on what to say. He's no, like, man, like, real, like yeah, yeah, I've, got, I've got Ted Sullivan over there. You well, gave yeah, some so, unbelievable advice earlier. Like we always ask, what would you tell you know yourself thirty years ago that you know now that you wish you knew then? But I mean, sounds like you're description of that willful ignorance is like nailed it to a T like you have to be like almost delusional confidence wise and yeah I mean you there's a reason I think why you why you know musicians get a little cocky and I think it's I think it's definitely some sort of a mask (laughs) you know I mean I think (laughs) that you 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 create the persona of the person that you want to be in a way and it protects you especially at the very beginning because you know, it's especially when you're starting out, it's when you're starting out, especially when we were starting out, there was no social media that like those two words never were used together. Right. Right. And so when we started out, it was just people coming up to you because they, they didn't know who you were and didn't care. And would just say nasty shit right to your face. <laughs> um, and so you have to get like a thick skin when that's happening. And I think the way that you do that is you're like, oh yeah. Uh, so like people go, people come up and go like, so what's your band like? Matchbox 20, what is it like? And I go, oh, we're the greatest pop rock band in the world. And that's, <laughs> that's what I would just tell everybody. Do you, have, do you remember any instances of uh, haters or tra- has anything stuck with you over the years? I mean, God, you, I mean we, were, it was, we were easily had a minute where we were so happy when Nickelback came out because we were like, oh, good, you're <laughs> alone. Like we, uh, do one time, so we were, we were out touring with Everclear. That we had our guys, both, both those bands. Yeah, both are those guys. guys have been on oh, here. Right on. Yeah. So, so, uh, so Art and those guys were, were opening up the tour and they, they had just put out a new record and it was, there was a review in Rolling Stone of their record and it was an okay review. But then at the very end of it, for no reason at all, it just said, 
but hell, it beats Matchbox 20 any day. <laughs> and I was like, dude, we didn't even, like, that wasn't even our record. And you're fucking with us. Like, that's, that is hardcore. It's, it's nice to see Rolling Stone turn into such a piece of shit organization, though, when they've done that kind of stuff. And now you see they're like top, you know, 100 singers of all time, and they're leaving like fucking giants off the list. Like, it's just a big troll. They've always been trolls. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and now we have a new record, and they went online. So we, um, Oh shit! I, I had the the funniest. Uh, oh, so we were we had uh, this van opening for us one time. Uh, do you guys remember Fountains of Wayne? Oh, we love oh, yeah, Fountains yeah. of Wayne. Right, so Mom. those guys those guys opened up for us, and on the last show as a tour prank, we so and our stage setup was one giant screen, like the entirety of this, you know, behind us, and uh, the guys hired the guy who does Robert, I think Smigel, who does. Uh, Triumph, the insult dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in the middle of our set, they just shut off everything. And he just popped up on the screen and just started fucking eviscerating us. And like, every- <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> he comes out and he just goes, hey, it's Matchbox 20, or as I like to call them, three pricks nobody knows and a tick on Santana's balls. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It was oh, so amazing. Awesome. It's online. If you ever get a chance to check it out. Uh, we will <laughs> comic the insult dog roast the matchbox 20. Like it was pretty great. I will be pulling that up for sure. Yeah. That's that is You're great. T- talking about this idea of artists having to have a little bit of a delusion and confidence in yourself. There's this interesting stat that don't quote me on the exact number, but it's something like 39 million songs that are on Spotify have had zero listens. <laughs> so it's like. I mean, look, a a good portion of that is probably just some algorithm spitting out like the sounds of nature, you know, like just trying to game the algorithm. But then you got to think that there's thousands of artists out there that put that out and they've got this, that early confidence. And that's just a weird thing to think about now that it's so accessible because like you, you couldn't make a record in the 90s the, the way you can make a record now in terms of ease and accessibility to get it distributed and all that. So it's just and, radically and, and, changed. And like not to, I don't want this to sound the way it's probably going to sound, but with that many people having that readily accessible things to be able to try and make music, the quality has to – not the quality you know, in, individually – but the overall bar of quality has to go down a little bit. Like you, you don't have to say it. I'll say it so that you can save face. You can't have that much fucking music and have it be good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just not I'm possible. Not, I'll say I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm saying that. But I, <laughs> you, like you used to, if you were, you know, I, I, this is the, the old man statement of the yeah, like. So you know, back in my day, when, when you, uh, <laughs> if you were just starting out and you were young. I mean, the idea of what it would take, like to to get studio time, to get a band yeah. to get that in there, you had to at least have a leg up and know what you were doing, or rich right. parents, right? You had to like, <laughs> figure out something. But like now, I mean, anybody can just make a record and just put it right onto Spotify. So of course, some of that's gonna suck. You know, I mean, it just yeah. it kind of has to. I mean, you yeah. said it earlier, like it's a lot harder nowadays to find good music. You have to dig because it's so saturated. There's, I forget, Johnny mentioned it a few podcasts ago about how many songs get uploaded a day. It's it's insane. And like you said, the barrier to entry now is so much lower. I, I'm a DJ, so trying to find and break records, 20 years ago it was the funnest thing in the world and it was a lot easier. Now it's like, Digging is so hard and yeah, tedious. You know what's weird? It's almost like done a certain way since like fucking 1950. 
Yeah. Right up into the 90s. Like there was a yeah. certain kind of, you know, you make a record, you put it out, you a, lay, a guy from a label comes to your town, he checks out your, your band. If he likes you, he gives you a deal, it goes on the radio. If it does well, you tour, you know, like there was kind of like a thing that happened. And now you have you have no idea how that, you know, how that's going to go. It does. I mean, it's not, it's not bad or good in some ways. You know, I think like the access that some people can have to their favorite artists, that's pretty exciting. You know, the way that, that people can can kind For of, sure. the fact that maybe, or, you know, there, yeah. there are bands out there having careers like Father the Father John Misty's of the world. If they had to rely on VH1, MTV and your local radio station, they might not have had the career. That they're no. Yeah, yeah, For sure. So, I, you know, it, it definitely turns around both ways. Like how many, how many times have you had a friend that like, or a guy that you know that comes in and he's like, dude, I wrote 20 songs last night. Like, I bet they suck. Like, <laughs> really? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. It, it, that's the thing, though. I feel like over the last 10 years specifically, like the industry, like that, like thing that gets you out into the into like the masses has changed like three or four different times. Like it was like yeah. radio and then it was strictly Spotify. And now it's fucking TikTok. Like the industry is changing rapidly and rapidly to where you think you have the right thing. And then all of a sudden that's not the right thing anymore. So it's like, yeah. how the fuck do you even know what you're doing anymore? When we when it's we a, started, we went we you make a, a press kit for labels, and that press kit is literally like a folder, and inside of it you would tape your cassette, yeah. you know, with like four or five demos. You'd have some flyers from some local shows that you played, and then you'd have like a bumper sticker, and you could literally take that, and that was a viable thing that labels, you know, were expecting. Like that was the way that they that they would look at it. And, and a and giant bag of cocaine always helps. <laughs> what? <laughs> A giant bag of cocaine or an <laughs> envelope of cash or something. Yeah. If you dropped off a fucking press kit to like Atlantic Records today, that shit would go right in the shredder. Oh my God, <laughs> what yeah, are we right? doing here? I um, it was. I mean, that was like that was a whole different, a whole different mindset, I guess. And and, and yeah. again, like I don't know, you know, better or worse, but I just know that it uh, it it made sense. And in some ways, you know, there there was you you had like we were coming off the heads of like real a these A&R guys, you know, like Ahmed Erdogan and Clive mm -hmm. Davis and, uh, you know, Dave Geffen. And, you know, I mean, like these guys that they would listen. I, like, I once heard an A&R guy say, uh, somebody asked him, they say, Hey, what do you think of this, the new, whatever record? And he actually said without thinking, he goes, I, I don't know. I'm the only one that's heard it. Well, Jesus. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Nutty. Dude, I, I, I just, I feel like I'm old man ranting right now. You should. That's what we're here for. thing. Kids, pull your goddamn pants up. I mean, come on. Nah, man. Well, it was that thing. Like, I can remember even working on songs and we'd be like, send an email to someone like, please don't share this. Now, yeah. like, we'll just fucking put it out. Like, onto Instagram or whatever. Like, no one cares anymore. There's no such thing as a leak anymore. Which no, I, is I remember, like, cool, you know, second, but also not cool. Second, third record, you know, like, you'd have a... I would, you know, put demos or, or like the new record on a CD, play it for my friend, and then go burn it in the microwave <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. make another one the next time I want, you know, because I just, because it was like that, that, like there was a time where the CD that I was holding in my hand was worth more than the car that I was driving in. Yeah. Man. Wow. Yeah. Remember burning CDs? Good times, dude. Good <laughs> times. times. Great Good times, times, dude. God damn. Rob, has there been any instances where your son has come to you for advice and you've given him some and he's actually taken it? Or have there been any instances where <laughs> now that you're recording a new album that he's given you any advice? <laughs> Ooh. He, uh, 
he he he's a first like he loves he listen he loves listening to all the demos from the from the very beginning stages all the way through and, and uh he uh every time that we've me or anybody in the, in the band has tried to give him advice he's never takes it um but he, he listens like, he, he listens quietly and that's nice uh <laughs> it looks like he's actually his band is gonna we're gonna we're gonna let them open like be the third act uh opening the hollywood bowl that's oh sick. nice God that's damn. a good perk. That's a good perk of being your kid. Yeah, but now I'm gonna hold that over his head forever. <laughs> fair. That's fair. By the way, like, like, like I'm still, I'm already like anything he wants. I'm like, dude, when I was your age, I lived in a car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, no, you you gotta you gotta. I, I I paid for your college. I paid for where you live. Like you know, if I always tell him like, there's no, I'm not paying your rent. I'm not paying your rent. So there I am paying his rent. Right. Like, <laughs> Off the record, how how's the band? Off the record. Off really the good. record. I mean, they're I think that they're be- like they're better than I was at 24. The only thing that I think they don't have yet, and I tell them all the time, is they're just missing that song. Right. And I think that you know they have other songs where if you had you know how sometimes like if you have the right spark of the first song, those other songs will fall in the line. Mm-hmm. But none, maybe maybe song two and three can't be the first one that's going to open you to the world. Yeah. Um, so I just don't, I don't think they have the song yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the thing I tell them. I was like, you know, like right around now, I had already written 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like I was, you know, and I was like starting to write songs about things that meant something to me and not trying to write, you know, uh, beats. Right. And not right. trying to write, you know, right. I, I call it writing from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I was going to say, what's your secret to writing? Why don't you just let the world know? How do they, how, how do we write 3 a.m.? Yeah, let me write this down. Let me write this down real quick. Twelve other songs that aren't as good, and then eventually you'll get to one. I think it's interesting you said that they're missing that song. That seems to be one thing that actually has never changed, despite any changes in technology and delivery. Is that there is something magic still to a song? That no matter how many songs come out on Spotify every day, one of them is going to be fucking different, and it's going to stick out. You know? Yeah, I mean, and 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 we should be said too that. You know, we talk about uh, the, the the low quality because of just the, the sheer amount of bands that are out there. But also, I mean, we all, everybody here knows at least one amazing musician or songwriter that you just can't believe has not broken that barrier yet for, for one yeah. reason or another. I mean, there's a lot of talent out there that's not, that hasn't been looked at. And I think those are the cautionary tales too that you, that you look at and make you appreciate any success that you do have because you realize that that makes you see how much luck is involved in the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I sure. think the, I think the interesting thing about today's landscape too, and we were talking with uh, somebody on last week's podcast, a guy named Siren. And we came to this conclusion that in today's day and age, because of the volume of songs that come out, a lot of the times through social media, people need to connect with the person first and then they'll give your art a chance. So you almost have to yeah. put yourself out there first. And then if they like you enough, they'll give your songs a chance. Whereas before it was like, Oh, this is just in front of me, and now I can get to know the band. It's just a completely different mindset nowadays in the consumer. Yeah, I always, you know, and I feel like when you're writing, to me, like uh, the melody is your key, right? Mm-hmm. A melody is uh, is above all because nobody hears nobody hears a lyric first. I mean, even songwriters really. I, the melody is kind of like when you're at a bar, the hot girl on the other side of the bar. Just that eye when you see her, that's the melody because that's what draws you over. Right. And if you get over there and then she's good conversation and she has a lot to say and she's smart and she's personality, that, that's the lyric. You know what I mean? Or maybe that's the rest of the album. Wow. But I think like when I when I'm writing, like the first thing I hear out of anything is that melody. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's the first thing that anybody grabs onto in a song. You, you can just it, it strikes and every songwriter I know kind of is that way, too. I'm not saying like a lot of times 
I'll have a, I'll write something out like a line that'll spark, a, you know, an idea of a song. But most of the time, it's just fishing and melodies coming out, and then a melody that just sticks. And you're just yeah. like, oh, what is that? It's like a radio station that's kind of above your head sometimes, and you're you're tuning in, and then yeah. all of a sudden you hear this melody, and then you're like, well, what is that? And you go, oh shit, that's that's nothing yet. That's me. Dude, you know, dude, and, then you try, and then you try and wrangle it down. Dude, so I just read Rick Rubin's book, and that's all he talks about in it is how you're you have antenna that you can't see, and it's how open you are to receiving. Oh, what is that called? Uh, hold on. Dante probably has it bookmarked. He's probably been reading it no, back while to he's front. Finding it, I'm curious. Um, like melody is so important, right? And it's, let's say that you have a melody in your head for a song, and then you go back and you don't like the melody as much anymore, and you want to change it. Is it tough for you to remove yourself from that original melody to change? Yeah, it? I have. I have the hardest time with if, if something comes out viscerally. I have a real hard time with the rewrite. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you know, a lot of things will happen if I'm writing with someone. Which has been, I, I used to not write with a lot of people. Like everything was just kind of, a, it was a solitary thing. And the more I wrote with other people that were good writers, the more I really learned to lean on them. Because the amount of times where I would just be like, dude, you're fucking up that song. And then like the next day I'll come back and be like, oh yeah, that's better. I was wrong. That's just better. But you know, like you, you know how it is. I mean, imagine if somebody just singing a song that you love and just singing it back to you with the wrong melody. You yeah. know? And because it's in my head that way, that's what I think has to be the right melody. It can't be yeah. wrong. Huh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Who's the best songwriter you've ever been in a room with? Great Willie Nelson. Nelson. Yeah. Right. Willie oh, Nelson. Wow. Oh Great my answer. god. That's what awesome. was that like? That's softball though, because it's fucking Willie Nelson. Yeah. Dude, I he... wish I could have written like a quarter of one of his songs. I'd take a verse of one of his songs. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, He's such a fucking monster. With, uh, I did. Uh, I wrote two songs with Mick Jagger. One was uh, "Disease" that, that was on the Matchbox Twenty record, and one was his a single of his solo called "Visions of Paradise." And uh, I was in the studio and me and the, this uh, keyboard player, Matt Clifford, who's like the Stones keyboard player, yeah. we're, we're just kind of getting started waiting for Mick. And we had this, we're sitting there, we're kind of fucking around with this melody and, and we're going like, don't put your arms around me and don't tell me lies. And like, we just keep, we're doing that, doing that. And Mick literally walks in with a bag and he just goes, I could get used to your vision of paradise. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sets the bag down. And I was like, oh, shit. And then we would like, we would work, we'd like work up a disease wow. as a demo because he was singing it at first because we thought he was going to do it. And when he's listening back to the demos, he sits in the control room and he's got his hands on the board and he's listening. He's got his eyes closed. And the whole time he's listening, he does the mick. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's almost like he's trying to see if it feels right for him. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it just he's all his own little world it's it's pretty amazing i mean those kind of like uh those are high stakes rooms to be in where you're yeah, just like shit and you are so like, much cooler time, like, than we us had sold, like we had sold like 20 million records and i thought i was famous and then i went out with mick jagger one night <laughs> and i was like oh, i'm not famous yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kenny kenny what we talked about for the second record you said in order to do the sophomore record you needed the confidence to do it is that the same mentality going into the room with somebody like willie or mick like you're just like I can be confident in my shit and go in there. Or were you, was it a nervous wreck? No, I, my, I had a strategy for those moments, which was get really high. <laughs> nice. <laughs> when all else fails. With, Will, with Willie, that was easier. Yeah. <laughs> because it was required. Right. <laughs> that's wow. awesome. That's the Kenny Carkeat method right there. Kenny, that's how you do it, right? 
<laughs> you motherfucker. Rob, you're cooler than us and you're smarter than us, and I want you to know that. Um, I kind of have two more questions to bookend this. First, and I know this is a hacky question, but when you made Smooth with Santana, did you walk out of the room and know that was going to be like the second biggest song of all time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, my, my wife thought it was going to be really big. Um, I, uh, I was so like, I just thought that I was going to get a chance to work with Carlos Santana. I thought it was going to be something I was going to have to let people know that I did. Well, because if you think about it at the time, there, like I grew up on black magic woman and Oyo Komava, you know, evil ways, but like the idea, if somebody said, you know, Hey, next week, Carlos Santana is going to put out a record and it's going to be the biggest record in the world. You'd be like, yeah, okay. Like <laughs> it, it made you sound unbelievable. Not because he's not fucking Carlos. Right. Uh, but how did that come about? How did that come about? By the way, I was, I was living in Soho in the city and, uh, I was just gotten off the road. I've been on the road for like three years on that first record. And there was a guy literally a block and a half from me that it, that was working on this song that later became the track for smooth, but he had written a whole song that was kind of about like, there's a party in room two, two, seven or something like it was. And Carlos was like, you know, he kind of liked the vibe, but he's just like, he's like, I'm not going to write a song. I'm not going to sing a song about that. So I wrote, I rewrote a lyric and a melody for it. Um, and, uh, and then I was, I thought I was, I was just supposed to write. I wasn't going to sing it at the time. And, uh, and then after going back and forth through a lot of things, Carlos had never heard of me. He was just like, he's like, well, I like this guy. He's like, does he sing? And they're like, yeah, yeah, he's in a band. And Carlos is like, well, I believe him. So I'm, I, I'll use him. Huh, interesting. And, wow. Uh, what's great is, you know, it's been 23 years. I'm now, I think, three years younger than Carlos was when we did Smooth. Um, and, uh, and no exaggeration, Carlos is one of my best friends in the universe. Uh, like we talk, if not daily, you know, at least three or four times a week, we're constantly, our wives make fun of us. Cause we text like little girls, all the time. <laughs> lots of emojis and we sing each other like songs. And if we're both on the road at the same time, every night we get on the bus, sending each other like pictures of, of like our crowds and being like, look what I did today. And he'll be like, just to go text, back. So go ahead. I pictured the you morning should... text messages being like you guys back and forth. Like, thank you for making that song. I love money. Like, you know what I mean? like <laughs> sometimes he'll just be like, he'll, he'll, he'll literally like hold up his, uh, at his place in Kauai and hold up his phone and be like, look what our song got me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I want to hear. Just it. to go back real quick, you said you, your wife thought it was going to be a, a hit. We talk about this a lot on this podcast. Like, I know Kenny's wife and Colin's wife, like getting a good response for a song out of them is next to impossible. It's never so happened. Kind of same with me. <laughs> but every now and then, if they say they like something, I trust my wife's opinion on that is do you have that same kind of thing where you know like if she's digging it it means something yeah i mean you know over the last 24 years she's got her track record is pretty amazing at the songs huh, yeah. that like at, at her picking them uh i mean it's gotten she's she's pretty she's good enough that like paul so paul in the band the dynamic is you know he's like out of everyone in the band you know we're brothers because we've been together for 30 years paul's like my best friend like we're like we can, we, 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 uh, we're like the two old guys in the Muppets just sitting there, just kind of like cracking fun of everything and everyone. And, uh, like we'll be sitting in the studio and he'll, and he'll like, so what are you thinking? And I'll tell him, he'll go, he'll go what, what does Maudie think? What, what she uh, like, he wants, he always wants like her advice on a video or her advice on, you know, good. I picture her like sitting in the studio with a big cigar, like an old school record exec being like, this is the one kid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but then yeah, no, she, the funny thing is then she'd be in the studio for like five minutes. She's like, all right, I'm going to fucking go. This is boring. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like listen, I don't want to listen yes. to you looping around shit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
hundred. That's the realest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, no, it's so funny because she. I mean, she like she. Uh, she's my biggest fan. She loves you know like she loves to see the shows. She loves to you know to hear the records. She you know even this one like when we were going into it, you know at this point in our lives like it's it's much easier to make a solo record. It's much easier to have that kind of personal autonomy with your time and and how you do the tour and the routing and everything. You kind of control that. And, uh, and so there was a lot of conversation about like, if we were ready, you know, after these three years of lockdown, like, are we, do we feel like we were ready to do this with the band? And after like half the record, she, we were sitting one night and she was just like, you know, like, you're doing the right thing. She's like, this is a really good record. And, and this is the right, this is the record you should be making right now. And I was like, right That's on. Cool. And, and I know she must admit it because it's not as easy for her, her life either, you know, in the matchbox world. And so, right. she, you know, she wouldn't say that unless it was a thousand percent true for her. Huh, yeah. I love that. So That's beautiful. So, she, you know, she said uh, one time uh, when we first started dating and before we were married, we, she was on the road. Like I was, I had the record had probably been out for like a year. So I, I had a lot of fun. And then she, I met her and then we had a lot of fun. Like we, you know, kind of went through that together. I just like, we'd just gotten a bus that uh, we know we had just gotten two buses. Cause that meant that people could bring their girlfriends or wives out if they wanted to. <laughs> and, uh, so we tour, we tour all over the world. It's like two, two and a half years later, we're sitting at home in the, in, in our apartment in New York. And she just looks at me out of nowhere and she goes, I miss the bus. <laughs> and I was just but, like, ah, fucking marry me, marry me, marry me. <laughs> That's amazing. Rob, at the top of the show, we were talking about the new single and we never even plugged it or mentioned it. It's Wild yeah, we Dogs. Didn't. Kenny, Kenny, take Wild Dogs and throw it in, in the editing afterwards. yeah, but- yeah. yeah. I, we also need to plug the upcoming album. I don't want Ted to beat us up after this is over. Can right. you tell us tell us what we can expect as fans, and tell us what you're most excited about off the record? Us hearing. Um. So the the record is called "Where the Light Goes." Uh, it's it, it's a title track of one of the songs that's on the record. It was like the first song that we started that we really all agreed that we wanted to put on the record was "Where the Light Goes." Um. Wild Dogs is actually the, the, oh, hold on one second. I'm getting a call from Australia. Please be Carlos. Please be Carlos. No, I think it's just (laughs) some Australian interviews, but they're way early. Um, (laughs) So I, uh, where where was I at? Um, Sorry. Oh, so Wild Wild Dogs Dogs was a, it was the last song that we wrote. Like we thought we were done with the record and then Paul sent this track to me. And then I just started kind of like screwing around with it. And, uh, and it, and you know, and we kind of threw it on at the last minute, and 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 it was, and as soon as we wrote it, we were like, we wanted this to be the first single, just because nice. we wanted, you know, this is this is the way we've been gone for a long time, and this was the the way that we wanted to kind of come back, because uh, this was the way that we felt about this record, that kind of vitality, that kind of energy. Yeah, that song to me, it feels like Kintsugi era Death Cab for Cutie meets modern country, which I don't know if you'll get that, but like modern pop, like pop country kind of sensibility in the vocals meets Tom Petty. That's what I took from it. Uh, well, you know, it's funny you say that because that is our, there's a lot of 80s on this record, right? Um, nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I know. Hey, Ted, will you, will you text Nick and tell him I know? Um, so I, uh, I, uh, there's a lot of 80s on this record, right? So like uh, Wild Dogs and, uh, and Where the Light Goes, those kind of are like in that, you know, Tom Petty full moon fever meets uh, Springsteen tunnel of love, you know, kind of production wise eighties, but then we have stuff going on uh, that Paul wrote uh, like, like four or five songs that are full on like level 42 or like go West 
80. Ooh, you know what I mean? Like, really out there. So like we're excited about like just all the different 80s flavors, you know, that are, that are kind of cooking up on the record. I mean, I think it's just because that's that's us, right? That's our age. That's That was like where our heart came from. That's where like all of our, our early influences kind of yeah. really came from. And, you know, as, as artists now at this stage in our age, we, we're not going to look at, you know, New Music Friday right. to get our cues on how we want to sound. It just, it would be disingenuous. It wouldn't work for us yeah. to kind of do that. So the best thing to do is go back and pull things that, you know, that, that inspired us growing up and try and incorporate that into something new. God damn, dude. I can't wait for this record. And Rob, Man. you spent you spent so you spent so much fucking time with us. We really appreciate it. We're all huge fans. Yeah, and apparently I gotta go because Australia's blowing up my fucking phone right now. La- hey, Lance, really, Lance. hey, really quick. Hey, you gotta down. get my bait. I have one one last <laughs> thing. Oh, by the way, the the book, Rick Rubin's book, yeah. pick it up. What's it the called? Creative, the Creative Act. It's one of the best books I've ever read. You'll fucking love yeah, no, it. No, I, I I loved his documentary, so I'm definitely gonna read it. So yeah, pick it up, but I need you. Huge favor. This will make my mom's year, birthday, Christmas present, everything. You got to give my mom, Barbara, a shout out. She's your biggest fan in the world. She's seen you 10 times. She still plays your CDs in her car daily. She's obsessed. Barbara. Then I want to say hi to Barbara. Barbara, thank you so much for sticking in there with us. Thank you for pushing out Dante. (laughs) You did good. Thank you so much. You're the man, Rob. Thank you so much. Motherfucking Thomas. Gotta go talk to Australia. I didn't even ask you about Sinbad. I'm so fucking mad right now. I totally dropped the ball on Sinbad. Really quick, really quick. My uh, my son was walking down through college campus. Sinbad was walking. My son runs up to me. He's like, oh my God. He goes, "Uh, listen, I'm sorry. He goes, I met you once when I was really little. You worked with my dad, uh, Rob Thomas. And he goes, Rob Thomas is your dad? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, Tell him he's still my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes! That's how you end an interview. God damn. Go guys, listen to Thank the you so much. I don't mean I don't mean to jump off. I really could do this oh, all man. night. You guys are fun. Dude, you're this is fucking awesome. Go listen to the new Matchbox 20 album. Rob Thomas, you're our best friend now. Thank you so much for being here. Guys, thank you so thank much. You, I'll talk Rob. to you again soon. All right, so that was Rob Thomas. I got nothing to say. Unbelievable interview. Listen to the new Matchbox 20 album when it comes out. See him on tour. Stream the new shit. He's awesome. That was one of my favorite interviews ever, and I say that all the time, but goddamn, that was that was really great. Uh, thanks to Nate for stopping by. Dante Bounce as well. It's down to me, Johnny, and Dave. Uh, let's go through a little on the list, off the list. I'm not getting, don't, we, don't, we don't get rid of this segment just because we changed the name of the show, right? No, I think it's a good segment. It's like a good, it's easy, even though I haven't fucking thought of any for this week but I'll... i haven't either just the think, of, think of them off the top of your head what do you got a bitch about liberals <laughs> <laughs> no uh, you do that uh no my off the list is absolutely politics in its entirety fuck them all this everything that's going on right now i'm fried i don't care i really don't i don't care it's, it's i've been all... largely avoiding social media today for obvious reason sure. um i have a request to the people yep can we stop defying these fucking politicians, this is America. They work for us. They're not monarchs. Yep. They're elected Pass. officials. And if we don't like them, we vote their asses out. Uh, so how about stop the fact- putting these fucking loser, egotistical freaks on pedestals? Also, if you wear a politician's merch like a sports team, you are a yes. fucking loser. You're a loser. Loser. <laughs> You're a loser. That goes to my brother and my sister because they wear opposing side shit and they, uh, they have arguments. Fuck them both. Stop. They all suck. They literally are public servants. They're basically DMV workers. I implore both of you guys and Kenny. Any actually anybody who's listening to this, go and listen to the Rob Blagojevich interview that we had last. Dante was on it with Ed. 
take what you think about him and what um what whether or not he did actually try to sell Obama's Senate seat out of your brain. It's a wildly, wildly entertaining interview because he's super fucking funny, very self-deprecating. Who is awesome, this guy? Awesome, awesome interview. But for non-Chicagoans, who is this now. guy? So Rod Rod Blagojevich was when I was in college, he was the Illinois governor. Did a lot of good for the state. This is like well before Donald Trump and everything and everybody being polarized. But um, he was pretty well liked, but he refused to play the game by his. And what I say, the game, like, you know, the dirty side of politics. And um, he they had a wiretap on him because apparently by his account, only one. Well, only one percent of the actual conversation is public. But um, basically, he was taking bribes because when when Obama announced he was running for president and when he won the election and was become he was an Illinois senator and um, the governor is in charge of filling that empty seat. And he was apparently selling off the seats Um, like taking highest bidder, you know. Right. Um, Take all that away. Uh, he's out of politics now. He's convicted felon. Did eight years. Trump pardoned him. Blah blah blah. Um, can't run for can't run for office anymore because he's a felon. And he just lets loose. He tells he says fuck these like this. Politics are the most corrupt place on earth. Like you think like like I didn't do anything criminally wrong. He's like I made my fair share of mistakes. Yeah, but fuck each and every last one of these guys. They're all they're all dirty. All sides of the aisle. He's he's a big time dem. And he loves Trump because of what Trump did. It got him out of prison, obviously. Yeah. But um, it's a uh, it's it's a wild interview, and I really implore everybody to go listen to it. You'll laugh your ass off multiple times too. He's fucking hilarious. He's a hilarious guy. That's the only criteria I have for politicians: is do they make me laugh? Because <laughs> any other criteria, it's like it doesn't make a difference, dude. The the shit's too fucked. Um, so if you're making me laugh, there's a good chance. I'm going to be Johnny, into you. Go and listen. It's an hour long. You'll wish it went on for another five hours because this guy's a master, masterful storyteller. And he's got stories about Trump. Like, and he just lets loose. He doesn't care because he's a free man now. Like, you know, he has that epiphany where <laughs> he's just like, fuck everybody. But uh, he's he's living life. Super funny. I, I <laughs> go and listen to the interview. You'll laugh your ass. I'm not kidding. You will. You'll be in tears at different parts of it. This guy. <laughs> and he was like, like a part of the machine, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, Dave, you got so any- it's cool perspective. Dave, you got anything on or off your list? Uh, on my list. Uh, I did meet Susan Tedeschi at the show. You were talking about, uh, or Dante was talking about how he was starstruck. I don't really get starstruck at all anymore. Like I was with Brian Erlacher for couple hours last week and this is a guy that i grew up idolizing yeah walked in couldn't have given a shit less <laughs> susan tedeschi she walked we were we were backstage they had pizzas and like a bunch of food laid out for the band and everything and it was me and like i don't know maybe five eight other people down there that had these backstage passes and derek walked by and i i mentioned i said something to him but like he looked at me like what like and i just choked i like froze up Oh. And then when yeah, it was kind of funny. I forget exactly what I said though. Da- Dante might remember, but uh, Susan just as nice and kind as like as you can possibly imagine. She's so unbelievably talented, man. So she gets into talented. it when she's ripping a solo though. Like you know how John Mayer's got the weird faces and stuff. 
Yeah. When when he's really getting into his guitar playing, she does the same thing, which I think is kind of funny because you see her, she's like this, you know, this pretty, you know, she could be our at least my mother, your mother. Yeah. Johnny, maybe not. And as she much. just rips. No. And she just fucking rips, dude. That's rips the thing. and her face gets into it and she's sitting there. But she I I love I love that band. I, I love feel like that. Most people who know the band think of Derek Trucks as a guitar player. She's a great guitar player, too, She's man. She's an incredibly gifted guitarist. Unbelievable. I mean, the voice is the first thing, though, because she, yeah. she sounds like she smokes a pack of cigarettes and drinks a bottle of honey a day. Like, it's a mixture of two things. It's really incredible. <laughs> it's really incredible. She has a great voice, man. Great voice. Um, Johnny, you got anything on the list? On the list, I've been fucking around with mid-journey. You know that... It's the like visual AI. You go type in prompts and it spits out images for you. you like everyone was doing that, it for a while. But like I'm so messing with AI with for, amongst us. None of us do AI besides you. I guess yeah, you guys aren't like I just feel like the whole internet's like been through that fad and moved on already. But it's actually useful for someone like me who's not artistically inclined, visually speaking, for like making quick and easy album art or like single art maybe not album art you want to put a bit more effort into it but you just need a fucking picture and you're like i need this like a fucking cow standing next to like a <laughs> texas a texas cactus or something whatever like you just throw it in there and it spits out shit that is incredible it all starts to look a bit the same like ai but i don't know it's fucking insane and this is like the beginning the tip of the iceberg of where this shit's going it's like awesome and terrifying at the same time i'm with you on that it's can you like do your AI stuff and make it look like I'm Steve Ray Vaughn for a troll social media clip or something. I could probably you can probably get a picture. Yeah, of that the, the thing it won't actually look like you because I think they there's like in this one at least there's some kind of uh, copyright t- stuff where they won't ah. display people's actual faces. Mm. But I'm sure it's there like are ones it. out there. Yeah, I'm sure we can go some bootleg one from China or something yeah. like that. Probably do it. Uh, my on the list is Tyler, the creator just dropped a new, uh, bonus version of his recent album guys on another level. He's just doing whatever the fuck he wants. And I love it. Um, other than that, Dave, anything off your list, uh, off my list. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with getting fat. I, uh, got fat this weekend nice. again. So now I gotta like do all that exercise and all that kind of stuff. That kind of sucks. I feel like you can really like fluctuate your weight though. Cause I, you you get real skinny real easily. I just, I I'll do keto and like grind my nutsack off for like four straight days and I'll drop eight pounds. Yeah. But I've mastered the art of like staying right at like 190. Is that like you're walking around weight? Is that where you want to be? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I don't even want to get on a scale. I bet it's say 195 right now, but I can get I, it down to like 187. I usually, I usually walk around like 190. Like that's usually, my, I'm like 178 right now. Yeah, I, you're a scrawny little bitch. Hit the fucking not, weights, pussy. Dude, I fucking <laughs> I went to my sister's house like two weeks ago for her birthday, and she like grabbed my shoulder, and she was like, "Ugh," she was like, "What? What's wrong with you? Are you not? Are you not lifting weights?" And I was like, "Fuck you!" I was like, "I'm busy," <laughs> and she was she was like, "I'm not trying to be a dick. I just surprised." And I was like, "All right, fuck you, dude." I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I don't know. I got to start eating more." Um, I've been on a fucking Taco Bell kick. I can't eat that kind of shit. That I said, like, I am going to fire up um, Uber Eats as we speak. I got two steaks downstairs about to cook for me and my lady. So There you go. Um, dude, this was a great episode. This was a lot of fun. Hey, yo, he's trying to AI you right now. I'm trying to – you see, I'm going to see what it does, but it, like, it doesn't – yeah. 
It's weird. It, it won't actually look like you, but you can do some fucking crazy shit. Here, it's it's rendering. Hold on. So I just said it? that picture in the style of Van Gogh, <laughs> right? So let me pop it up here. <laughs> so like you see what i'm saying it changes the faces and everything yeah, yeah, but like yeah. you can add fucking like any prompt you want no. be like that picture in the style of van gogh eating a hot dog it'll give you can something you zoom pretty in on that for me that like i'm fitted <laughs> the bottom one looks like every dude in a philly's tailgate i've ever seen in my entire yeah. life it's fucking insane, dude. This shit that they're like, that's uh, it's, just, it's just crazy where this is gonna go. It's fucking frightening. I don't like it. Freaks me out. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, Barstool backstage this week. Feels nice to finally say that. Uh, more exciting shit coming up. I just can't thank Rob Thomas enough. That was awesome. Shouts out Simbed. Shouts out Carlos Santana. Shouts out Mick Jagger. You missed the Mick Jagger story too, by the way, which was fucking I love awesome. good Mick Jagger story. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Unbelievable episode. We'll see you guys next week. Dave, uh, Johnny, anything for me? No. Didn't think so. All right, fuck you guys. We love you. See ya.